Hi, this is Annie Montgomery, and I'm here joining Rick. We're going to have a lot to talk about today, including the current state of baseball and women in baseball, something we don't see very much of. Join us. You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout-out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn Presents... Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Hi, everyone. Welcome. As usual, another great day, another great show. And this program happened by accident, like so much else in my career. And I'm going to tell you why. Our guest today is Anne Montgomery. This is a lady who has basically spent her whole life in either sports or media or both. And she's also a writer. And come on in here. And without sports, ma'am, your first question I'm going to ask you is, where would your life be without sports? If you can answer that, come on in. Well, I actually can answer that. Now, most of my life, Rick, was involved with sports, but not so much today because I did, well, I was a a sports reporter for 15 years in both television and print. Um, And I was a sports official. I was a referee and an umpire uh, for 40 years. I then became a teacher. So I did that for 20 years and taught journalism. So I was, while I was officiating all that time, I, I, you know, I switched my focus to teaching and then I became an author and I've written, I've got five published books and not a single one of them is about sports. Oh, right. They're novels, aren't they? Aren't they novels? They are. But when you taught, you taught at the Arizona State University's Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication. I did, but let me be very clear. I taught 20 years in a high school, in an inner city high school. I taught journalism. I taught uh, reading. I taught a little bit of history. Mostly I taught communication skills and journalism. I taught one semester at Arizona State. And it was very interesting because you know how at the end of the the semester, the the students uh, will rate an instructor and that's public information. Yes. Uh, One one of the kids wrote, the next time Arizona State hires someone to teach sports reporting, it should be someone younger. Oh, no. And I'm like, really? No, no, no. Yeah. I I wanted to point out that Chris Berman at ESPN, who I worked with, uh, is four months younger than I am. And do you think they would have objected if if he came in and taught them sports? No. Reporting? I, I no, don't, of course no. not. I, I no. believe that there's some, well, people would call it discrimination because of age. I, oh, you can, my goodness. You yes. can call it whatever you want. But let me just say, here's how this show happened. And you don't know this because you and I have just now met. We have not had any prior discussions at all. And you know nothing about any questions that I'm going to be asking asking you today. But the only thing I think you do know about me is that I do occasionally go out and we'll go down to the arena and we'll watch the Cincinnati Reds play baseball. And the reason I think you know that is because when I wrote you once and said, okay, I'm off to watch the Cincinnati Reds, you said, oh, so am I. And you are in Phoenix, Arizona. So are you still keeping up with the teams and watching? 
watching the sports? You know, I have to admit, when I when I first wanted to become a sportscaster, which of course was absurd because it was the 1970s and there weren't women sportscasters, um, I started reading uh, certainly sports pages every day. I read Sports Illustrated cover to cover every week so that I could learn about the sports. It was part of my everyday existence. And I still read an old-fashioned newspaper. And the first thing I grab is the sports page every day. However, I will be totally honest with you that I don't read every line. I don't study the box scores. You know, I, I was involved in sports one way or another for 60 years. And I got to a point where, I, you know, I do watch the Arizona Cardinals play. I'm a football fan. But, that you know, that's such an exercise in futility. It's kind of like being a Cubs fan before they ever won the World Series. You know, it's just without the panache. And so, no, I am not as involved in sports as I once was. I'm more into the issues of the sports world, things that are happening all around the sports world that, that is changing things like nil and, and the Saudi Arabia people being involved in the PGA, those kinds of things. Right. Now, for 40, that's four zero years of your life, you called baseball, ice hockey, soccer, basketball. You were a high school football, not only referee, but a crew chief. And that was 40 years of your life. And that's not all you did in sports. We're not even talking about the time you worked for ESPN in the studio hosting the show that you did for the NBA's Phoenix Suns. Uh, you did a lot in broadcasting and it was most of it exclusively sports. Would that be right? That is absolutely correct. I got my first job in sportscasting in Columbus, Georgia, a small market, but I was hired to be the sports director and weekday sports announcer on the 6 and 11 o'clock news. I held the same position in Rochester, New York after that. Then I came to Phoenix where I I was a reporter and weekend anchor. And I also was the beat reporter with the Arizona Cardinals when they first came here, which was quite a plum gig. I was surprised they gave it to me. But that meant I traveled with the Cardinals and I, I went to all their practices and I was at every game. And, and so that was my main beat. But I also covered lots of other sports here, the Phoenix Suns and college ball and that kind of thing. Then I got hired at ESPN where I anchored Sports Center for a couple of years. Wasn't that fun, I will be honest. And then when they did not renew my contract, because sadly I was pushing 40 and you know what happens to women who right. buy their trade in front of a camera once you're 40. Their attitude is the target audience in sports is males 18 to 34. And once you're over 34, you're not hot enough anymore. I learned that the hard way. Uh, but I did come back to Phoenix and I, I was the studio host for the Phoenix Suns for two years. And it was the two years when they they went to the you know NBA playoffs and they 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 lost to the, the Bulls. You know, it was Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan. It was great fun. And I, I did a half hour pregame show. I did a half halftime show, then a call-in show after the game. That was my last regular gig being a sportscaster, but I worked for five stations. I don't know that I missed out on much. Right. Now, where was all these age requirements, if you will, if I could use that term, when Howard Cosell was out there calling sports? Nobody cares what men look like. Right. Come on, Rick. Isn't that the <laughs> truth? Yeah. Oh, don't get me started. But oh, yeah. I'll tell you why we're doing this show today. In addition, to the professional ball club of the Cincinnati Reds in Cincinnati, we have, well, they have m many other teams that they own. 
they have what's called single A, or now they're calling it high A, and that's the Dayton Dragons out of Dayton, Ohio. They have double A out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is the uh, Chattanooga Lookouts. And then they have triple A out of Louisville, which is called the Louisville Bats. And I'm not referring to that Halloween bird or animal that flies around. I was going to ask. No, no, no. <laughs> Louisville, as you know, is the home of, well, it used to be, I think. I don't know. I don't think they're still manufacturing them there anymore, if I'm wrong. Excuse me. The Louisville me. Slugger. Come the on. The Louisville Slugger <laughs> Bat. That was yep. why they named the team the Louisville Bat. But at any rate, I went to single A in Dayton and we watched the Dayton Dragons in their arena. And they take that single A up there very seriously. And they do a good job at marketing and selling out the stadium. And when we watched that game on that night, and we'd been there many times, but on this particular evening, and it was probably two, three years ago, I saw a female out there on the field as a referee, an umpire. And you probably know her or know of her. I've never met her. I've never talked to her, but her, and I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Her first name is Jen and her last name is spelled P-A-W-O-L. Have you heard of her? And do you know anything of her. I do not know anything specifically about her. I do know that, even though you didn't ask, I'll say it, that baseball is the least forward-thinking sport in regard to women in officiating or even women in the game at all. They, I know back in 1977, Pam Postema was the first woman to come up out of umpire school. And she ended up, I think, in the league for about, in the minor leagues for about 12 years. She ended up in AAA. She was a perfectly fine official. Now, I may be a little biased here because I was married to a minor league umpire. And he was her partner. I'll and, be darn. Wow. Yeah. And I met her and she, there was absolutely no reason Pam couldn't have gone to the major leagues back then, but she didn't. They just fired her one day and she went away. That is Every sad. year there's maybe one woman at one of the, I call it, it they don't call it professional umpire development, but th that you go to school. And I attended uh, Bill Kinnaman's school in 1981, me and 105 guys. It was rather a fascinating five weeks of my life. But the bottom line is they got together back then and said there would not be a woman who would get a job out of that school. They didn't want to do it. And they scared the minor league umpires who were trainers there and said, you will not rate her high enough to go to the minor league instructional camps. The top 30 campers got picked to do that. I came in 32nd. Okay. Now, did I deserve a job? Maybe not. I don't run very well, but I'm a good official. And I would find out years later that the only person that rated me so that I could get a job was John McSherry. And you might remember John McSherry, if you're a Cincinnati fan. He died oh, absolutely. behind home plate. Yes, he died behind home plate here in Cincinnati. On opening day. And yes. he was a wonderful man, but a terrifying instructor when you didn't know him. I would find out later that he rated me at like 15th. And I should have been able to at least gone on to, to the next level of training camp. The rest of the guys said, absolutely not. Now, how do I know that? I ended up marrying one of those, those minor league umpires. Years <laughs> later, he told me what happened. Oh, 
So I know what happened. They said, no, we're not going to send a woman out of the school. And so that is what happened. happens year in and year out. There have been women in umpiring and the low minors. I don't know if anybody's been up in AAA anytime recently, but baseball is so stubborn compared to the other sports. I mean, let's be honest, basketball's great. They've got women all over, but that's understandable because women play basketball. Same way with soccer. There are a lot of women soccer officials because women grow up playing soccer. But football and baseball have been very stubborn about this. And, you know, football cracks me up because they act like they're so great to women. Do you you know in the Pro Football Hall of Fame now they have a women in football display? Uh, You know, right now, as I speak to you, there is an exhibit at the Cincinnati Reds Museum, which is located outside of the arena. When you go in, it's right next door, or maybe it's a side building. But everybody that goes to the game walks through past the door of the museum. And the current exhibit is women in baseball. And I I mean, come on, what? It's the same thing. What, What is women? in baseball today. It's nothing. That's the problem. It, they're doing women in baseball that played when men went off to world war in World War II, a league of their own. That's what they're talking about because there really aren't very many women. And and I was mentioning the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. They have in that dis- display the hat and the whistle of Shannon Easton. Shannon Easton was the first woman to call an NFL game, but of course she did it during a strike by the regular officials. And so they put that in the Hall of Fame, even though they never gave her a job in the NFL. Explain that to me. Well, then they have an exhibit where they've got the headphones of two women who they say broadcast an NFL game, did color and play-by-play on a Monday night. But if you turned on the TV that night, you got Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. You had to be directed to some alternative small station to listen to the women do it. And on top of that, they weren't even at the stadium and they have taken their headphones and put them in the Women in Football Pro Hall of Fame. Do you see where this is going? Oh, the other one I love, the Arizona Cardinals had a woman in preseason who was being an assistant coach. Great. They made a big deal about it. But do you think when the season started, they actually gave her a job? No, she was an intern. She's in the Hall of Fame. So what is that saying? I know what baseball, football is doing. They know that the people that spend the money on NFL paraphernalia, jerseys, shoes, whatever, it's women who spend the money. They buy those jerseys for their husbands and their sons and their whoever. And so they're desperately trying to appeal to women because we hold the the purse. And the only thing that cracks me up is when I watch NFL games now and reflect back 20 years, I remember how every other shot back in the old days was cheerleaders. You don't see the cheerleaders so much anymore, do you? I see them in football. I see not, but not on the, not on the broadcast though. In the old days, you remember like the, the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, they were every other shot was a cheerleader. Oh, that was big time back then. Yeah. They don't do that anymore because they know women are, 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 are shelling out money for their products. That's why they have the women's NFL store. If you want to buy something, you know, some Jersey, they now have an entire women's department. It's marketing. Now to me, the NFL has, yes, put a few women uh, as wings, you know, in officiating. And that's fine because it's not brain surgery. But to me, it's like 20 years too late. Wow. You know, every Friday now when they play, they have what's called the City Connect uniforms. Have you ever heard of that? All black? No. No. Well, which teams are we talking about? Cincinnati Reds. Oh, we're talking baseball. Yeah, baseball. Yes. Oh, and there are women buying the hats, buying the jerseys. If you go to the stadium, there are plenty 
of women buying that stuff and wearing it to the game. But I don't think baseball cares. I, I think they're they're the last holdout. That you know, you, honestly, in, in all honesty, pretty soon there won't even be umpires. They're going to do it all electronically. So uh, yeah, I think I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, like the gonna- home plate umpire that calls balls and strikes. They'll do that automatic. Do that by what a computer? Yeah, well, just like they have the strike zone electronically now that everybody thinks they can see it right and when the umpire gets it wrong because there's that little square on the tv i believe and i have no proof of this this is just my my thought on it you know they've they've expanded the size of the bags yes they have yes more people stealing that kind of thing i believe they're gonna they're gonna put electronics in the bags so that you won't need anyone to say safe out that that electronically they'll do it i think officials are going to disappear because of ai uh, with a lot of other jobs but i bet uh, umpires are the first to go ai artificial intelligence yeah yeah i think they're going to plug things into the bases and they're going to have you know ball and strikes and then they won't need officials and you know what's funny i think when the umpires go away people will miss them because what are you going to do yell at a machine right you know and here's another question i have for you and this is why i'm so glad you're here you know so much more about this than anybody i know but all right how is ai a little brain if you will a computer inside of the base if for baseball it's in there how is it going to know whether that's Joey Votto's foot when he's the first baseman catching, trying to get the runner out, or the runner crossing over the base. How are, you, how are they going to tell that? That, you know, AI at this point, we know that you can take, you know, all of Ernest Hemingway's books and throw them in an AI, and it can produce a new Ernest Hemingway book. We know they can do that. And you won't even know. It will sound just like it was written by Ernest Hemingway. If they can do that, it can figure out if a ball or a, or a foot hits the bag first. Uh, or it gets in the glove. Right. How they are you going to know will... the difference between Vado's foot, the first baseman, and the runner trying to tag the base? Because they will. I they it, they will. They're they're working on these things now. I read somewhere, God, five or six years ago, that one of the top jobs that will be eliminated in the in our in the near future is baseball umpire because they will. That's probably the easiest sport to do this with. Football is a little different because you don't know where they're going to run, but we know exactly where they're going to run in baseball. We yes. know exactly what the base path is. Yeah. Now, they will probably have to do something with electronics and gloves. Did he catch the ball or not? Did he run out of the base path while trying to be tagged? These are all things. It's, that's probably the easiest thing computers can do. Right. Well, they so, all, uh, yeah, they have really that think... computer that the catcher listens to in his ear. Yeah. yeah. What is and, that? Pitch calm. Pitch calm. Well, yeah, it's coming. And that's why, to me, you know, I'm retired from officiating. I retired in 2019. I uh, called my last uh, varsity football game. I'm kind of glad I'm out of it now because I see these changes are going to come quickly. And it's going to be one of those things for fans, be careful what you wish for, because I, I think that they'll be kind of stymied by the fact that they've got no one to scream at. Okay, um, I'll tell you what. And right now, we don't have enough officials anyway, you know, that we, we're so low on uh, amateur officials. I don't know even we're going to be, that games may have to end before we even get to the electronic part of it. Boy, I, I think I'm old school like you. On Rick Flynn presents something we 
rarely, rarely do. And the reason why is because when I went to single A and I saw that gal named Jen in her official uniform, just like the men have, it's the identical uniform that they wear when they umpire the major league. The uniform's the same. And she did a great job. And I keep reading these articles. Looks like this lady, and they use her name, is is off to the majors, is soon oh, to no, be in the please. majors. And I keep reading, 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 and it depends on who the author is. Could this be the first gal in the majors? And I look, and then I look at the rest of my life I'm, I'm living and hearing about, and I give myself the answer, no, no, no. Probably not. Pro- Probably she, not. She's in the very lowest minor league. You have to claw your way up through the minors. My ex-husband spent 12 years in the minor leagues, starting in, in A-ball, and it took years and years to move up. And I'm afraid that if she's in A-ball now, by the time she moves up, we won't need them anymore. There won't be any more umpires anyway. No. So uh, that's yeah. why, to me, baseball could have made some kind of you know positive overture in regard to women 20 years, 30 years ago. I mean, again, I, st- I called my first game in, my first baseball game in 1979, okay? I did everything you were supposed to be. And then the problem is you get out of umpire school and you have to deal with local organizations, meaning I called ball games in Northern Virginia. I called them here in Arizona. And as a woman, I was never accepted. Today, if I was still doing high school football, for example, half the men don't speak to me. Oh, right. Still. Because 40, of sexism. Yeah. It's still, the, you know, people say, oh, it's gotten so much better. I'm like, no, it hasn't. And I'll give you a perfect example. I spent 14 years being wing in football, meaning I was the official on the line of scrimmage. And every year I got thrown off other men's crews. And and I, I'd say, why? And they said, well, we're never going to get the big games with you. You're a woman. And they were absolutely right. And that pissed me off. Oh. And so one day I decided I was going to become a referee. Now, how many referees are on a football field? There's only one. The referee is the one with the white hat, the one that communicates to the press box, the one that signals, the one that's in charge of the game and is the crew chief. So what I had to do is one day I decided I was going to be the referee and I would invite men to work with me. They'd know what they were getting. They'd know they'd never get the top state games because I'm a woman. And I did that for the next 26 years and nothing ever changed. And it was the same in baseball. Okay. I never got the state championships. No, you know, I walked in here uh, into Arizona and I had gone through umpire school. I'd worked eight years in other states and I came in and I applied to be an umpire here in Arizona. And they said, oh, well, we're going to make you a four. Well, what does that mean? If I, I came in with lots of experience, I'm supposed to come in as a five and I could be certified immediately from that position. For four years, they didn't certify me. I'm the only woman in, you know, 400 men. And every year they said, oh, we forgot to come watch you work every year. And finally, I was asked to, to uh, umpire a game, uh, a charity game that was televised uh, between the San Francisco Giants and the Phoenix Firebirds, which is their AAA affiliate here in Phoenix. And, you know, I got I got a lineup card with du- that Dusty Baker handed me. I've got a tape of me behind home plate calling the game. I slapped that tape on my commissioner's desk and said, I'm the one with the ponytail. And he said, you're certified. That's what it took 
took wow. four years. Dusty Baker would, used to be yep. our manager here in Cincinnati. I know. He was great. Yes. He was great. That was one of my most thrilling moments in baseball, and it actually got me a little trouble. I don't know if you want me to tell my, my Dusty Baker story. I will if you want. Go right ahead. Okay. I'm kind of I, – I study the rules. That's I, I became an official so I could be a competent sportscaster because I came up before Title IX. I did not play these sports. I didn't have the opportunity to. And so I became an official, so I had to study rule books and understand the games. So my view of, of, a, of a strike zone is the way it's written in the rule book from your armpits to the top of your knees. That's the way it's written. But nobody calls that. And so I would call games the way it's written, and I'd have a giant strike zone, and people would scream at me. And... <laughs> So I go to do this game with, you know, and it's an honor to do this game. And that they gave me the plate was astonishing. And so I'm out there and here comes Dusty Baker with his lineup card. And after we had the meeting with the other with the other manager, Dusty kind of hung out. He goes, uh, ump? I said, yes, sir. He said, um, did I mention we have a plane to catch? And I looked at him and he smiled and I knew exactly what he wanted me to do. First batter came up and I struck him out on a high ball. I did. And he turned and looked at me really mad. And I, that game was over in an hour and 55 minutes. Oh my. And the wow. other guys, people were yelling at me, but at the end of the game, it was a beautiful Arizona sunset. And here's Dusty standing up the third baseline and everybody's going into the dugout and he turned and he looked at me and gave me a big dusty smile and he walked into the dugout and it was one of the my most exciting moments in baseball all the other guys were mad what were you doing i said i'm calling a real strike zone because you know dusty had a play to catch well we have a local commentator here and he flat out right said on the camera one night i don't like that little rectangle on the screen you know, the thing that designates, no, because, he says, I don't like that. Well, I'll tell you why. As it is, umpires call postage stamp size strike zones. They do. And I'll tell you why. The smaller you can make your strike zone, the less likely it is someone can complain about it. Yeah, and but, that's not the way the rule is written. And when you see that box, I think they desperately, I think it makes them shrink it even more. And what fun is that? Baseball's a bore. Games are three hours long. And that's why that we have now a new pitch clock, which I love. I love the clock. Right. We um, saw that because, first years ago down in uh, AAA. They uh, had they that they had that 3 years ago at the Louisville Bats. Well, let's be honest. If they do not shrink the time of a game, they're going to lose the next the, the next generation of baseball fans. And they've already done that. Young people are not willing to sit for three plus hours watching a ball game where there's like no hitting and no screaming and no, you know, fireworks. They they are not used to understanding the beauty of baseball. And they have like their attention span is so brief. As a teacher, I once learned that a goldfish has a nine second attention span. A teenager has a seven second attention span. So how are you going to keep them interested in this very slow moving game? And so baseball's panicking now because they are losing fans right and left, which is why they have a pitch clock, which is why they ha they're, you know, they're talking, they change the size of the bag so we can now have more stealing, successful stealing, as it were. And, and I think they're panicking as they should. And when they, they go into overtime, they automatically give you a man at second base. I don't have a problem. I know, I know baseball purists are crying in their beer over that but they're looking to protect people 
I mean, they don't have enough pitchers to, to go 17 innings anymore. They just don't. And they don't, you know, and I don't have a problem with putting a guy on second base. I don't like the bigger bases. I am against that. But the, putting a guy on second in extra innings and pitch clock, they're both fine with me. They say the bigger sized bases will prevent injury from that's the, how? yeah, well, the player that's running to the base will not step on the player guarding the base. You won't step on his foot. Do you agree well, with that? You're not supposed to be in front of the bag like that anyway, but I, no, I, I I think it's just a matter of increasing offense because many young people in, in many sports don't like defense. They don't appreciate a one nothing baseball game, a one nothing hockey game. While those of us who grew up admiring defensive plays think one nothing is great. Now we need to have baseball games that are 15 to 12. I don't get that. But, you know, over the years, you've seen them juice the balls up because they want more home runs. Could there be anything more boring than a home run if it isn't a game winner? <laughs> it's not really interesting. I'd rather see a triple play. That, to me, is the most exciting play in baseball. But everybody wants a home run. Nobody even even hits a ball into the infield anymore. It's either a home run or a strikeout. Uh, and, the, and baseball is getting boring. What about Pete Rose? He said <laughs> that game, I'm not going to get into his background, even though he's oh, from. Uh, yeah. Here's what he said. He said, I watched a game the other day. I saw, and he named the player. I saw him up at bat four times with four different, completely different stances of how he was set up to hit. And he says, the players that are up there at bat trying to hit home run after home run every time are, yeah. are all wrong. He said, games are won by those who can hit and put themselves on base. Or, my goodness, sacrifice yourself to advance a runner. You know, I mean, we don't yeah. see that. Anymore. When's the last time you saw someone actually bunt? I mean, we don't. Oh, we, we don't have, have a to... good one here. TJ Friedman. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Generally speaking, you know, if, I think if you look at the statistics, you'll see there aren't as many singles. There aren't as many doubles. Everybody's swinging for the fences. And it's not interesting. I mean, we have fielders standing out there an entire inning, do nothing. They don't touch the ball ever. It, it has somehow the game has gotten to this point where all we care about is big numbers. And that's not what baseball ever was. And hockey's the same way. Who wants, a, you know, I don't want to watch a hockey game with a score seven, six. It's kind of an aberration in my brain, but young people want offense. And that's what they keep changing the rules to produce. Mm, mm, mm. I'll tell you what, I, 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 I am so not. Naive. I remember when this country elected Barack for the first time, and then he served four years, and we re-elect him again. That's eight years we had Barack as our president, and I'm over here saying, wow, this discrimination now, it's going to go away. No, finally, no. finally, America speaks, and we say, this is our president, we confirm him, we reelect him, and now all this, this, this racial discrimination is going to cease and desist, and you know what? I couldn't have been more wrong. Man, I needed to go in in front 
front of the mirror and slap myself for that. It made no sense. It's as strong today as it was before Barack ever walked into the White House. It, it is, and I, I have a kind of a unique perspective on this. I am a foster mom, and though my kids are all in their 20s now, one's white, one's Hispanic, and two are black. I deal with the kind of sh- crap that my children run into all the time, and it breaks my heart that we are still doing this. Right. Now, um, I, I don't even yeah. want to tell you the stories. It's just awful. I, I know what you must have gone through, but let's get back to the topic. How about umpiring yeah. baseball? Let's just stay right there. All right. Yes, you got to know the rules, and you have to A, and B, you learn those rules, I'm assuming, at the umpire school, and then you stay up on it constantly. Do they require you to have what, like what a lawyer has to do, continuing education? To oh, be, my goodness, yes. Right. Th- every they'll word, update you. Year. How often? Every year? Every year, yeah. And it's the same. Uh, now, I primarily worked high school sports, and every year under the uh, National High School Federation, I'm required to take an exam where I must get a 90 or above on, you know, 100 questions on football, on baseball rules. Um, let me say this first. I did baseball for 25 years. I did football for 40. So mm. ba- football tends to creep into my, br- my brain more, but the training was the same. And a couple months before the season started, you start meeting in groups uh, where you get together, you study rules, you talk about, uh, we have safety protocols, because uh, I don't know if you know this, but sports officials are number one responsibility at the amateur level is safety. How to keep the how to keep the players safe, how to keep the fans safe. That's we have to study protocols. Uh, we have to know how to you know handle bloodborne diseases. We have to understand CPR. We have to do all those things. Um, but then we go to clinics. We have on on field clinics. We are required to do a, at least one scrimmage prior to the to the season. These are all this is all unpaid, and you have to take that test every year. And it cracks me up that the the coaches never had to take the test, and yet they're the ones screaming at me about the rules. And and I know we're we're talking baseball here, but because football is closer to my brain at the moment, um, I'll give you an example. In football, I'd have high school coaches screaming, "That catch is on pass, uncatchable. That can't, you know, it can't be interference." Well, we don't have that rule in high school. That's a pro rule, and they don't seem to know the difference because no one makes the coaches read the rule book, and certainly fans don't read the rule book. So they're always screaming at me that I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm the only one taking the tests and doing the clinics and and watching watching the film. So yes, we go through training every year. I've heard television sports anchors that are calling the game say that pitch is unhittable but it was called a strike. Well, who says what's, I don't, I don't even know how to answer that. I don't know how to answer it. But what, what I can say is that I think the vast majority of fans really don't understand the rules. And maybe some of the broadcasters don't either. And I'll give you an example. When I was at ESPN and I anchored SportsCenter, normally you're lucky if you get to see all the highlights prior to the show. But the bottom line is some games end late. And so you don't always get to do that. So a, a production assistant, who's usually a kid right out of college with no experience, will come running in and throw a highlight sheet on your desk and then the camera light goes on and you've got to do them cold. One night a kid came in through the, through the highlights at me, the light went on and we're at Wrigley Field and the first shot is, oh my goodness, a fan gets hit with a foul tip in the front row. Now I immediately know as an umpire, this is incorrect, but I have to go on to the rest of the highlights. I can't fix it. I don't have time. So at the end of every sports center, there is something called uh, a post-mortem where we all sit around and talk about what went well, what didn't go so well, and what can we do to improve? And so I called the young 
intern over and I said, Bob, I need to explain something to you. No one can be hit by a foul tip in the front row of a baseball game because a foul tip does not go into the stands. What you were describing was a foul ball. That's a dead ball, which means if I have someone stealing home, I have to send him back. It's dead. But a foul tip is a ball that goes from the bat to the catcher's glove. It's a strike, but it's a live ball. So if I've got a guy coming home, I've got to let him try to score. Two different things. Foul ball, foul tip. There's silence at this big conference table with all these ESPN guys. And that kid stood up and he said, you're nothing but a picky bitch. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, but it got worse because I went and he stomped out. Like Was I this on the him. air or after? No, no. This is after the right. show. Okay. Because all right. I was trying to explain that there's a difference. You're a baseball man. You know foul ball, foul tip. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I, the next morning, I got called into my boss's office and ordered to apologize to Bob because I hurt his feelings by correcting oh, him. My. Do you remember? Yes. Do you remember the darn airline industry with the stewardesses now called flight attendants? Yeah. Do you remember <laughs> they, if you gained weight years ago, you gained weight for God's sake. What would they do to those gals? Oh my God. And they, and they, they had to, uh, they couldn't be married and they had to wear their hair a certain way. They couldn't have hair dye. They couldn't dye their hair. They actually wrote a, a blog about the stewardesses flight attendants re- recently. It was, it was ridiculous. They and, would and not they let them be- work. Well, they basically said, wrote in their in their advertisements that some lucky man flying on the plane might go home with a wife. <laughs> oh, it was awful. I went through the old oh. ads. It was yes, but it was that was a different time. Different you know, time. I understand that. There but you go. Has it got has it gotten that that much better? No. As I said, I, when I was pushing forty, I'd worked for five TV stations, and I couldn't get a job anywhere in the country. I'll tell you, those stewardesses, excuse me, those flight attendants of today. Some of them have excess weight and they keep the job. Why is it that, for example, in TV, hypothetically, if you gain weight and you're beyond a certain uh, uh existence of somebody's imagination of what will bring in viewers you're out of a job well haven't now we it gone a little better haven't how about oprah i thought oprah solved that problem when they no. took her national at 225 plus pounds yeah but she was a very pretty woman anyway and that, that shouldn't matter the point is today in tv there are women who hang on longer if they're in a local market and they're very popular personalities they can get by with being overweight and older. If they're national women who work in um, in uh, network politics, politics, or in uh, ec- the economy, that kind of thing, then they have great expertise in those areas. They might survive being on the air a little bit longer. It's the sports world where there's the problem with you know women not being pretty enough. And then let's face it too, there really aren't jobs for people. Think oh, there's so many more sports women sports reporters today. Like no, there really aren't. Aren't. There are a lot more opportunities today. In my time, there were three stations in every town and there were six sportscasters. So you really, you know, there were very few jobs. Today, we've got all kinds of streaming services and, and women do have jobs. But what are the jobs that the women in sports have? What's the number one job women sports reporters have? I would say as a writer, 
maybe? No, no. As a sports caster on television, color, what is the job? Color, not anchor. Is it anchor? They don't do, no, they don't do play-by-play. They don't do color. They are the sideline reporters. Oh, uh, yeah, out on the field. Now, we yeah. did have, we had a news um, uh, gal that actually was the sports gal for the, the news, believe it or not. Okay, that's okay. And that's what I did. You know, I did stories for the local news stations. But I'm talking about when you're broadcasting an actual game where you have guys up in the booth doing color and play by play. And then you have they throw a couple of women on the sidelines and act like, aren't we great? We've got women. But A, they say very little. And B, what do they talk about? Medical stuff. Oh, he tore his ACL, Bob, or he got hit in the eye. Well, they might as well put nurses down there and have them comment. They don't ever ask those women or rarely ask those women what's going on in the field or about game strategy or, you know, what's what's wrong with a star player. They never ask that kind of thing. It's all, always about, oh, well, someone got hurt, Bob, and we're going to follow them into the tent and see what's happening there. That's not even a real job. I mean, who wants to ha- put a microphone in a coach's face? Who's down, you know, 10, 10 to two in the third inning, who wants to do that? And that doesn't work in baseball, I guess, but in football, it does, you know, who wants to stick the microphone in the coach's face? Nobody. It's a terrible job because they don't, they don't want to put women in the booth. And I don't get that. It's not brain surgery. You know, I, as a holder of a broadcast degree, how about your, 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 a news reporter and you're in front of somebody's home the home is shattered because of a fire there's nothing there but cigarette ashes and all right sir how do you feel and in in the in the here goes the mic in front of his face can't we progress more than that in life well well, look, a good journalist will never ask that kind of question simply because it's a closed question and they can say crappy. You know, how do you feel? Crappy. How do you feel? Bad. That's not a good question. I yeah. taught journalism for 20 years and I told my kids, you ask open-ended questions where they can't answer with one word because you're not going to have much to go on. So <laughs> fix those questions. Uh, they called up a player uh, from uh, AAA, I believe, right here. And on his very first time that they put him on the mound, uh, they, I think they won the game and then they had a male out on the field interviewing him right after the game. And, um, uh, he said, how did you feel when, you know, you did so-and-so or whatever, and when you won the game, he said, I looked and I said, holy shit. You know? <laughs> and the, Oops. The, the, the poor reporter out on the field said, well, we're on cable. <laughs> Yeah, well, you can we're on cable. We can let that go since we're on cable. And you know yeah. what? Uh, well, actually, they're they're on cable in addition to uh, being on the public's airwaves as well. But yeah, I'll tell you, I constantly see things and come up with ideas. And another one I have, I don't know if I'd get anywhere if I sound foolish. To me, it makes perfect sense. How about a law right now, a rule, if you will, if you build a baseball stadium or a football stadium, either one, I don't care. The rule from this point would be, if
if you're going to build it brand new from the ground up, it's got to have a dome on it. No more snow delays, no more rain delays, no more 102 degree temperatures in the in the summer, no more people passing out, air conditioned in there. And if the weather's good, open the dome. If it's raining, continue the game and shut the dome. Am I going to get anywhere with that or is this a pipe dream? You know, it's funny. We have, I'm in Arizona. You know, I've been undergoing 25 days of over 110 degree heat here. The bottom line is we have stadiums that have retractable domes and even in fantastically beautiful weather, they keep those closed. And I don't understand that. You know, I'd rather watch a football game outdoors. I'd rather watch a baseball game outdoors. Part of the allure is, can you survive the weather? But I don't know if they'll do that. My thing about new stadiums is I don't want to pay for them as a taxpayer anymore. Whereas I used to not mind. I used to say, yeah, build that football stadium, tax us, sure. Now I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. The, the guys who own those those teams, the team, the cost of teams has risen so exponentially. Um, what they just sell, sold the, the Washington Commanders for $6 billion. Mm-hmm. I think if they want a new stadium, they can afford it. They can build their own. And if they want to put a roof over it and and that, you know, they want to always play indoors, go ahead. But I'm at a point where I, I think they need to take care of that themselves. Our big problem here is heat and it's brutal and it's terrible officiating in it. It's terrible playing in it. But I don't know. I, get, I, I don't think we can make them do anything with their stadiums. Now, when you go to a baseball game there with the, the heat, on a heat problem day, what is it, 104 out there? 104, it's 114 right now. Oh, no, 114. It's been, it's been over 110 for 25 straight days. Oh, my. So it's the longest heat wave we've, wave we've ever had. A couple of days ago, it was 119. And I've got friends out officiating in this, and, and I miss officiating desperately. But when I think about what I'd be doing out in the heat now, uh, I've had heat sickness at least four times. And it's brutal and it's deadly. And uh, men have had it. Men have had it. Of course they have. Certainly they have. Now, when you go in the dome to watch, is it beautiful and air conditioned and nice? Oh, sure. Sure. I think I think it ought to be required. Let's not subject players to this this deadly uh, thing that's going to kill people. But you're talking about major leagues. I'm talking about high school kids and college. Oh, well, yeah. Now, high school, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's brutal. We have people die in it every year. It's crazy. So yeah, I, I and I don't know how you fix that, except, you know, I just wrote a column the other day about the fact that why the hell are we playing high school football in August? Why aren't we playing it, push it back to September where it used to be? Yeah. And everybody thinks I'm crazy. I'm like, you guys are nuts. Our first varsity football game is, is August 14th. And, you know, it, it's terrible working in those conditions. But I know you're talking about pro ball. So yeah, pro ball, they, they, it, when you're at the majors, I think, I don't know that there's any place that they don't, they, they don't have a dome in Cincinnati. No. Yeah, I haven't been back there in a million. I went to Miami of Ohio, by the way. So did I. I graduated there. So did I. Yeah, mass the communications. You, the same year you did. Oh, really? Yep, oh, 1977, right? That's You're 100% accurate on that. We yeah. probably know each other, Rick. Uh, you know, I didn't know that, but thank you for telling me. Well, my, when my, I enrolled, they the, my degree was called Radio TV Film, and then in the scene 
senior year, my senior year, they wanted to be more politically correct or whatever it was with computers coming up. And so they switched the name and called it Mass Communications. That's exactly what mine is. And my my legal name is Ann Butler. And um, so that's what I was at Miami. And we probably were in the same classes. It wouldn't shock me. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something. Ann, put two ladies in front of me at a, at, at a table. One fat, one beautiful with not an extra pound on her and give me five minutes or less. And I'll tell you which one of the two is is smarter in sports rules than the other. Well, I don't know how you can imagine that. I have no idea which one would be smarter. I do know which one would probably get a job. Yeah, right. I think there's a difference between getting a job and um, knowing uh, what it, I think if you're good looking enough, (laughs) they'll work around the lack of knowledge, you know. Oh, I've seen that. I've seen that. Sure they will. What I try to explain to my students is that maybe you're pretty for a while, but that doesn't last. That can't be the most important thing. If all you're going to live on on is off of is your looks, eventually that's not going to work for you anymore. So you've got to find other things that make you marketable and other things that are important to you. Because let's face it, I'm 68 years old. Okay. I don't look like I did 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And at some point you have to let that go. Right. Judge Judy said it. She said, um, uh, beauty fades. Dumb is forever. I like that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I, that I, is as a so teacher, true. I hate to think dumb is forever, but it might be. I don't know. Women as umpires in baseball. And what date can I expect that to happen? Knowing Gosh. I'm the same age as you. I'm going to say probably maybe one will blip up for a year or two, but then we won't have major league umpires anymore. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think baseball, I don't even think there's a woman in AAA or AA at this point, but it, I could be wrong. I think there's a woman in the like a ball, the one woman you saw. I don't know that there are any others. And this has been the way baseball has been for 40 years, 50 years. You know, Pam, what she came up in 77, as I said before, and there's been like one a year every year and they never get anywhere. So yeah, I yeah. don't know. I think baseball will hold out and we we both may be dead before that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'm I'm in total agreement. I, I really am sorry that it cannot progress uh, the way it ought to. Rules are rules. You're either a good official or you're not. Why can't we just leave the sexism out of it? I agree. And here's something people don't understand. If you can call a baseball game, you can call a football, you can work a football game or a soccer game or a hockey game. The skills to be an official are the same. It, it's the rules that change and you can study the rules. And that's why it's so ridiculous to me. We have wonderful female officials in a lot of sports. We have a lot of, especially, you know, when you're dealing with amateur sports, we have a terrible dearth of officials right now. There just aren't enough. Young officials quit within the first three years because they can't handle the abuse. And the officiating groups do not try to recruit women. I keep saying, look, you got 51% of the population is female. Why don't you get out there and recruit women as officials? And they hardly do it. So they're not even bothering to try to get, unless it's a sport, women play. Yes, they're women in softball. Yes, they're women in basketball and women in soccer. But, you know, I I had one of my commissioners came to me once. He said, you know, Annie, it's really too bad that, you know, you officiate men's sports because if you officiated women's sports, you might actually get somewhere. Mm. (laughs) So the bottom line is they're missing out on half 
half the population. And at some point, I bet anyone who's listening now has been to a game with a, with a child or a grandchild, and that game didn't happen because the not enough officials showed up, and they had to go home without playing. And that's going to happen more and more because we are not encouraging young people to be officials, and we're especially not encouraging women to be officials. Wow. Well, I there are some well-qualified women that would love to have the job. I'm, I'm here to tell you. Love to have the job. And I believe they would do a great, great uh, service to the sporting world in general, to women in general, to get past this rock wall that we're behind. And I don't know how to describe it other than, is it people? Is it tradition? I mean, I you want to say, is it sexism? I don't know if it's sexism. I, I, let me just say, people say, well, it's the old school. There never has been any, and there never will be any. Well, now that's funny. There was always men, vice presidents of the United States, We've laid that to rest. I believe, I don't know if we'll see it, but maybe the generation after us will see perhaps a female president of this country. What do oh, you of think? Course. Of course, well, it's going to happen. Will. It's going to happen. Probably before we have a woman umpiring a major league baseball game. Probably we'll have a, a woman president first. Sports are a whole different area of life, and it still remains a male bastion. And I, you know, I've been beating my head against the wall for 40 years with this and it hasn't, I, I don't think I've moved that rock an inch. And oh. if you told me when I started in 79, that there's, we'd still be fighting this as officials, I'd be shocked, but it hasn't changed. Yeah. And I think, you know, because it's, I don't know, maybe women are too smart to be umpires. I mean, because let's be honest, I've, I've had Police have to escort me to my cars. I have been spit on. I've had my tires knifed. Um, you know, it's just, it's not a pleasant job. I don't know why I even liked it. I do. I love it. I miss that more than TV. I miss officiating much more than being a sports reporter. Wow. Um, and I don't know how to explain that exactly. I don't know why it is, but I do. I miss that. And when you try to explain to people that you go out and you get yelled at, I mean, half the people hate you half the time if you call strike, right? Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's a sickness. And maybe most women are smarter than that. I don't know. <laughs> well, if we lay the umpiring aside for a moment, when I turn on the television and I see a female sportscaster at the desk, not out on the field saying, how'd it feel when you hit that home run? Not that. A sportscaster, a sports anchor at the desk. And I hear and I watch. And obviously she knows the sport. Obviously she knows the teams upon which she's uh, speaking. She knows the rules of the game. People like her. She unites well with the community, interacts well. She'll go appear at this restaurant or this this meeting and, and be a good diplomat or a good uh, ambassador, if you will, for the station, which puts the broadcast outlet in touch with the community. I'm all for it. Bring those women in, give them the job, and forget about whether it's a male sports uh, 
anchor or a female. Put the one in there that the people like. You know, and I agree with you. And I will have to say that several of the stations I worked for were thrilled that I officiated. And they would actually give me evenings off to go to a high school football game because it was that community interaction that that I got for the station. And it, it was showing basically that I had sports knowledge. I could go out and call a football game. I could go out and call a baseball game. So you're right. Those kind of interactions are very helpful. And I did have, I didn't have a huge following here in Phoenix before I went to ESPN, but there were people that were very devoted to the fact that that I, they believed I knew what I was talking about because I did. Oh, I <laughs> so, believe uh, every yeah, I bit agree. of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh my, oh my. Ann Butler Montgomery has been our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, on this rare show where Rick talks about sports, which I really don't do a whole lot. There are people who know it much better than I. They specialize in it, and I defer to them because they live their whole life. They breathe it. They sleep it. They eat and drink sports. And not only that, but I've found when somebody is good, let's say in baseball or football, they study other sports and they know other sports as well. You know that. Yeah. Well, I, I intentionally studied them. I mean, I, I think I pointed out I became a sports official so I could actually be a competent sports reporter. So when I first started officiating, I did football, baseball, ice hockey, soccer, and basketball because those are the main team spectator sports. So yes, I felt the need to study all of those. I will be honest. I was a terrible basketball official. I was a terrible soccer official and I only did those for a short time. I did ice hockey five years. Then I moved out to Phoenix where there there weren't any there weren't any arenas then. So basically I spent my life doing football and baseball, but I feel competent in all the other sports as well. Right. And you were behind the uh in front of the camera uh doing sports for how many years of your life total? Uh ten 10 years. I was, I worked for five TV stations, both locally and nationally, when you consider ESPN. And then I went in, when I, I was no longer pretty enough to be in front of a camera, I went into print reporting. I wrote for three newspapers and three magazines. That is excellent. And, and the interesting thing is I did sports originally, but then I got to morph into other things. I was a movie reviewer, one of the greatest gigs I ever had. They paid me to go to the movies and give my opinion. And I wrote uh, feature articles on all sorts of subjects. Right. Okay. Now, listen, we're not going to get into this, but have you seen what they're doing nationwide with some of these female weather, quote unquote, weather girls? I don't know what you're referring to. I'm referring to the way they look. Uh, you know, market to market, fashions change. I, I, you know, I grew up in New Jersey, outside of New York City. There was a look there. I went to Georgia. There's a look there. Every time you move from station to station, they throw you at a consultant the first week. And the consultant says, I hate your hair. I hate your clothes. I hate your makeup. I hate your earrings. And they change it. And that's what the station does. And it's funny, when I taught in college, um, one of my little female students who wanted to be a sports reporter said, well, they can't make you change the way you look. I said, of course they can, unless oh, they're yes, asking they can. Do something illegal or immoral, you do what they say, they're signing your paycheck. So yes, every station, depending on where you are in the country, decides what is appealing to the people in that locale, and you do that. So right. I don't know who's dressing your weather people, but it's probably their consultants. How about this? We'll put the, the, the brass pole right there next to the weather statistics and let them dance at the time they're given the weather. How's that? Hey, you know, in, I think it was Russia, somewhere in Russia, uh, they they did the women did the weather nude. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, I missed like that. Twenty years ago. Yeah. And oh. it was like the nude weather and it was the thing and nobody cared. I mean, I'm guessing they were the highest rated station and wherever they were, oh, you know, it, it's what 
the hell? <laughs> there it is, ladies and gentlemen, Ann Butler Montgomery. Her website, if you would like to get a hold of her, and she's just a wonderful personality who knows her sports. It's Ann with an E, okay? You have to put an E at the end of Ann. A-N-N-E, MontgomeryWriter.com. Ann with an E, MontgomeryWriter.com. That's where you get a hold of her. That's where you can find all of her novels that she has written. And I'm assuming at that website, can somebody get your email and, and drop you a line and, and oh, ask absolutely. you a question? Sure. My email's on there. There's also an area where you can leave comments. Oh, yes, I'm very easy to find. Very, very well. Our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, had her first television job at WRBL-TV in Columbus, Georgia. She later went on to WROC Television, Rochester, New York, KTSP-TV, Phoenix, Arizona, and then went to work for ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut, where she anchored the Emmy and award-winning Sports Center show. She wrapped up her on-camera broadcasting career with a two-year stint as the studio host, which, by the way, I'm glad that was air-conditioned and you weren't out in the, the heat for that, but that exactly. was for the NBA's Phoenix Suns. And then you did a lot as an official for 40 years as an amateur sports official calling baseball, ice hockey, soccer, basketball. You were a high school football referee and a crew chief, which meant you were the top dog when you did the high school thing. At least they didn't discriminate, I guess. Am I well, right? Well, no, I chose to be the referee and I enjoyed being the boss. I did. I know that might be shocking to you considering we've talked quite a while, but I liked being in charge. Oh my, oh my. Ladies and gentlemen, what a great show today. I hope if you're into sports, you've enjoyed yourself. This is Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. On behalf of myself and our guest today, sports expert Ann Montgomery at A-N-N-E, MontgomeryWriter.com. Check out her website. Check out her books. We'll see you next Wednesday with a brand new show. And thank you you all. Good night. Thank you so much, Rick. I've had a great time being on your podcast today. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.